You're now listening to Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. This week, Pastor Rich continues on in our verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Corinthians. This week's sermon is titled, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Rich is going to discuss the baptisms that we do experience as believers and how, again, they bring us together in unity. So please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. In 1999, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song called The Change. And let me just share a couple of the lyrics from that song, The Change. He said, I got a Christian bumper sticker, the outline of a fish stuck on my car. And even though all this stuff's well and good, yeah, I cannot help but ask myself, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing? I'm undergoing the change. You see, even though Christian faith can be backed up by historical and archaeological and even scientific proof, the Christian faith is not about head knowledge. It's all about a relationship with the almighty creator God of the universe through God the Son. And at the moment somebody gets new life through Jesus Christ, by faith in what he did on the cross, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit then comes to live within us and gives us this supernatural power to be able to live for God because of him. Keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue to walk down the path of that letter. Last week we learned from 1 Corinthians that the Holy Spirit's function is to testify of Jesus, to glorify Jesus, and to teach us about Jesus. And one of the ways he fulfills that is by giving gifts to Christ followers to do the work of the ministry. Last week we said spiritual gifts help to reveal the gospel. Spiritual gifts build up the church, the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts spread the gospel. And finally, spiritual gifts are used to empower ministry. This is what Don Stewart said from last week. God has given spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the entire church, the body of Christ. It is not for the glorification of one individual, but rather for the glory of God alone. And so today we're going to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And how that's to create unity within the body of Christ. Now, the last couple of teachings I've had on the gifts, I've kind of stayed vanilla, as it were, or gray, and tried to just give you the multiple choice answer of what different churches believe about the gifts because those are gray areas. But today, I do not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gray area at all. I think scripture is very clear what it is and what it is not. And so I am going to give you the clear teaching of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman numeral one, only one body of Christ. If your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, start with verse 12. The Apostle Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So next week, we're going to do a real in-depth teaching on the body and the oneness of the body. So we're simply just going to touch on that one subject this morning and get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
But you may remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Agape Feast, and we said denominations were not originally part of the early church. They were not. There was one church, the early church. The big C church is Christ's body, Christ's bride. But as the years went on after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where the church was formed, people began to disagree, because people are people, on doctrine and forms of worship, and so denominations began. Now, some denominations are emotional in nature. Some other denominations are liturgical in nature. And differing personalities like different things within church, what they feel comfortable in. By the way, if you feel comfortable 52 weeks a year in church, you're going to the wrong one. <laughs> Just saying. But St. Augustine said this, in the essentials of the historic Christian faith, in the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. In other words, when it comes to the essentials of the historic Christian faith, we should be immovable. When it comes to the virgin birth, the triune Godhead, when it comes to those historic things of the Christian faith, we shall not be moved. There in your notes. But when it comes to non-essentials in church, such as sign gifts, types of worship, and other preferences, we agree to disagree, but we should always treat other true believers with grace. You see, respectful disagreements are acceptable, but contentious disagreements, fighting with one another, will grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and they should not be. David Guzik, there in your notes, said, the body-like unity of Christians, catch this, is not a goal to achieve. It is a fact to be recognized. Paul clearly says that we were all baptized into one body. There's not many bodies. One body, one church. And there's, there were plenty of carnal Christians there in Corinth that wanted to fight and argue about everything, including the gifts and including everything else. And that's why Paul wrote all this, telling them, stop it. Stop fighting over non-essential things. And he wanted to educate them with the truth. So there are many gifts which were distributed by the Spirit, but they were done, again, to build up the body of Christ, the whole body of Christ. And catch this. By the way, they were given as the Holy Spirit deemed necessary. You don't get to decide what gift. If you get to decide your gift and you can make it happen, it's not a gift of the Spirit. Sorry to tell you that. The gifts were given by the Lord for the glory of the Lord and for edifying and building up the body of Christ. One body, one head, who is Jesus Christ. And without the head, the body just does not exist. John said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing, nothing. All right, so Roman numeral two, here we go. Look at verse 13. We were baptized. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. So part of this is going to seem elementary to those of you who have been in Christ a long time, and some of it may not be. But... 
In the New Testament, there are basically three baptisms that we see, and I want to explain them to you. The first one we see is John's baptism of repentance. But that baptism became obsolete once Jesus was crucified. Then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the water or the believer's baptism. This is what F.F. Bruce said. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but as John's baptism pointed forward to Jesus, it became obsolete when Christ came. Christian baptism followed faith in the Lord Jesus. It was associated with his name, which was invoked by the person being baptized. Christian baptism pictures the remission or washing away of our sins. So let's discuss what spirit baptism looks like. Here's the three questions I'm hoping to answer. Who receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit? When does the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place? And what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit do in the life of a believer? Okay, so number one there in your notes, who receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized. All. Who was Paul speaking to? This is the question you have to ask. When Paul is saying in this letter, we were all. So who was he talking to? Well, in the beginning of the letter, way back when we did the intro to this letter, we found out who the recipients were. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints, with all who, in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. There's your recipients. All who call on the Lord Jesus Christ, all who proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, all who have accepted Christ by faith, we have all been baptized into one spirit. Okay? Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to these Christians who were both carnal Christians and sold-out Christians. Understand, in Corinth, they had some pretty carnal believers there that were doing some pretty outrageous things, things that even you know, non-believers wouldn't do. And Paul says, we were all baptized in one spirit. And I would say, how? They didn't earn their baptism. Look at what carnal Christians they are. Paul didn't say only those Christians who have somehow reached this spiritual goal, they're so mature in Christ, that's when they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not what he says. He clearly says that all have been baptized, just as all have been given to drink of one spirit. John Betchel said this, It's ironic that Christians have argued so much about the baptism of the Spirit. When Paul uses it as one of the main arguments to create unity within the body of Christ. Paul also said in Ephesians 4.4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in y'all. So after the beginning of the church, there's now only two types of baptism, okay? There's a believer or a water baptism and a spirit baptism. Now, 
a little logic this morning, okay, just a little bit. Because maybe you've heard some denominations that say, until you go into the water, you're not saved. And when you come up out of the water, that's where you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. When Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5 that there's only one baptism, he cannot be speaking of water baptism. How do I know that? Because I was not there when Paul was baptized. Were you? My baptism was different than Paul's baptism. So when he's talking about one baptism, he's talking about a spiritual baptism, not a water baptism. And, and by the way, if water baptism is necessary for salvation, then the Bible clearly contradicts itself, right? Think about this. We know, we have been told that our salvation is not based on our works of righteousness. They're not. It's just not. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Right? So we did not earn our salvation, and nor do we work for our salvation. Water baptism, what is it? I like to describe it to people who are about to be baptized like a commercial. Right? Think about your favorite commercial. My baloney has a first name. Right? <laughs> when you are going into the water... You are, yes, obeying the Lord's command, but it's a commercial to show everybody. I have decided to follow Jesus, and here's my public declaration that everyone can see. So there in your notes, a believer's or a water baptism is for someone who has placed their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Now, water baptism is described really clearly in Acts chapter 8. You may remember this story. There's an Ethiopian man reading from the book of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit takes Philip over there, and he comes upon him. And after the man gets Jesus explained through the Old Testament book of Isaiah by Philip, the, the eunuch says, hey, look, there's a body of water. What stops me from being baptized? Acts 8.37, then Philip said, here's the prereq to be baptized. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water, and he baptized him. Notice the sequence of events. Someone must first believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. And then immediately, as a demonstration, as a public demonstration of their faith, Go and be baptized. Outward expression of what already took place inside. So why should someone be water baptized? Because again, it, it's not only a command that Jesus gave, it's one that he obeyed and showed us how to follow him. It's a picture, a representation of the washing away of our sins. We go down into the water, we're dying to the old man, washing away our sins, and we're raised to new life in Christ. That's why we are water baptized. Demonstration of a decision that's already happened in my heart. But catch this. People should be baptized based on their own faith, not their parents' faith or somebody else's faith. And this is why we don't baptize infants or people who are too young to know. You know, we'll dedicate them before the Lord, surely. We'll lift them up and say, God bless their parents and God bless them. Be with them. May they raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, surely. 
But we don't baptize someone because the child is too young to understand and make that decision for themselves. It's an identification with the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and coming up out of the water raised to new life. Okay, so that is the water or believer's baptism. Now let's talk about spirit baptism. It's ironic that it's the same word baptism, which means to be fully immersed, submerged, or to be overwhelmed. To be baptized with the Spirit, to be fully immersed, submerged, or overwhelmed. Wow. The baptism of the Spirit was predicted by John the Baptist, of course, and by Jesus himself. Acts 1.5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There in your notes. This promise, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost for the first time people were permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the church began. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to any and all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and that places them into the family of God. So question two, when? When does this take place? Again, verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Again, Dr. John Beckel said this, some churches believe that the baptism of the spirit is an experience different than salvation. Some churches believe the baptism of the spirit is a second experience that gives you much greater spiritual power and boldness and the ability to live this Christian life. Some groups teach that the baptism is accompanied by sign gifts such as tongues. But, gotquestions.org, the baptism of the Holy Spirit may be defined as a work thereby, and there in your notes, the Spirit of God places the believer into union with Christ, into union with other believers in the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation. You may remember the story that Peter, in Acts chapter 10, goes to Cornelius' house, and he's there, and he's preaching the gospel to a bunch of Gentile people. And all of a sudden, these Gentiles are demonstrated that they're already full of the Holy Spirit, and yet they had not been water baptized yet. In Acts 10, 47, it says, Can anyone forbid water, that these should not be baptized who have already received the Holy Spirit? Uh, again, there are people who say that there's a second work of grace or there's a second baptism after the initial baptism that happens at salvation. And, and although it's true, as we surrender and we submit to the Lord, He will do great and mighty things through us. But those are not additional baptisms. And, and I'm, I'm hoping to show you through Scripture, not just take my word for it. Paul issued a command to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5.18. This is what he said. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled, in the original language, means controlled by. Controlled by. Wearsby said it this way, the verb fill has nothing to do with contents or, or quantity, as though we were empty vessels and needed spiritual fuel to keep going. 
There's a twofold admonition there in Ephesians 5.18. Catch it. First, don't be controlled by, that's drunk, with alcohol, the old life. Instead, be controlled by, filled with, the Holy Spirit. There's a positional and a practical side of being baptized by the Holy Spirit here. Practically, when we surrender to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit moment by moment, that's what we're to do for the rest of our lives. It's a moment by moment surrender. You know, there's some mornings I wake up, surrender to the Holy Spirit, and then I get my first cup of coffee and I'm ruined. How about you? Man, I'm going to live for Jesus today. I'm going to do well. I've got it. I go to get my first cup of coffee and the sugar container is empty and there it is. So it's a moment by moment, day by day surrender. This isn't a one time. I wish it was a one time deal. I surrender all, Lord. Great. And now I just float on clouds until he comes to take me home. I never have to give up again. It's moment by moment, day by day till he comes back for us. I'm sorry to tell you, if you didn't know that, I'm sorry for the bad news. But this is the put off the old man and put on the new man daily. The old man is controlled by things and worldly things. And by the way, Ephesians 5.18 is not a full prohibition on alcohol, okay? So I'm not saying that. It's not like we all got to become teetotalers where we don't drink at all. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't be drunk. Don't be controlled by that thing, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've often wondered, why do unsaved people, why, they, why don't they get Scripture? Why don't they understand the things of God, right? Because they're controlled by something other than the Holy Spirit. This is just an old archaic book unless the Holy Spirit gives you guidance and teaches you through it. There in your notes, the new person in Christ is admonished to be filled. That's controlled by the Holy Spirit. In the original language, this verse teaches us to be continuously filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Again, the first time the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. You didn't get a third of the Spirit, and then you get two-thirds later. No, you get the Holy Spirit. But you still live in this thing called the flesh. And let me tell you about this nasty thing called the flesh. It's strong, it's powerful, and it's selfish, and it wants its own way. And if I don't beat this flesh into submission on a regular basis... I'm living for self and not Christ. So be filled moment by moment after that. Paul said it this way in case you're wondering. He said, now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if you don't have the spirit of God, these folks that say you don't have the spirit because you didn't this or this or this or this, they're basically saying you're not saved. And again, they're adding a work to salvation. But David Guzik says this, much of the weakness, defeat, and lethargy in our spiritual life can be attributed to the fact that we are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to notice there in your notes, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion. It's a command. As Christ followers, we're to give control of ourselves over to the Spirit. 
Paul didn't say if you feel like it, be filled. If you're in the mood this morning when you wake up, it'd be neat if you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, Paul just said, do it. Be filled. Make the decision of your will to die to self today. And let the Holy Spirit have his way in your heart. It's a decision of your will. I was born this way. Well, you need to be born again. I'm going to move on quickly. Number three. What does baptism of the Holy Spirit do in the life of a believer? There in your notes. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit makes us members of the body of Christ. And because we're members of the body of Christ, we also have newness of life. It's right there in Scripture. What does it do? It places me into the body of Christ. That's what it does. Galatians 2 says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. And again, John 3, Jesus very clearly said, you must be born again to inherit heaven. You have to be. It's a prereq. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Apostle Paul, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so now that we are new creations in Christ, if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, unfortunately, you still have a bad dose of free will living in your flesh. And you got to tell that free will every once in a while, get behind me and live for Jesus. You see, if we're new creations in Christ and he has given us gifts to use to edify and build up the body, there's something for you to be doing. Here comes the bad news. Here comes the do better talk. If you are a believer, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. And Paul very clearly has been teaching us line by line, verse by verse, that those gifts were given to build up the body of Christ. Right? So here's the deal. If you are a new creation in Christ, you have a part to play. You've got a call on your life. And you can't say, well, you know, not for me because, you know, I don't uh, like kids' ministry. Fantastic. We have some toilets that need cleaning. <laughs> you, you see, here's, here's the modern-day church, and I know this isn't seeker-friendly and this isn't the way to grow a church, but here's the modern church. We are consumers. We come, we want to consume, get our Sunday come-to-morning fix, and then go live. And when we come back... By the way, here's, here's my wish list for music. And by the way, here's something I'd like you to preach on. And if you haven't thought about it, I really don't like the color of those curtains on the stage. It'd be a nice time to change those two. Because we're consumers. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says you have a gift. And the whole body needs you to use it. Serve the Lord. So spiritual baptism serves as the basis of our unity and, and it helps us to spread the gospel and it makes us part of his body and it's our power source to share jesus so once you're saved the holy spirit takes up residence all were made to drink into one spirit kind of sounds like lord's supper a little bit 
So I want to share with you another passage from Paul about the fruits of the Spirit, in case you don't know what they look like. Galatians 5.16, the Apostle Paul said, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not. It will be impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Think about that. If you're walking in the Spirit, you cannot. It's impossible to fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And my favorite word in all the Bible, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there's no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in it. Again, Stephen Curtis Chapman, The Change. I cannot help but ask myself, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about the life that's showing? I'm undergoing the change. And again, even though our faith can be backed up by historical and, and archaeological and, and scientific proof, Christianity is not about head knowledge. It's about a real-life relationship with a real-life God who loves you and gave himself for you. And at the moment you surrender, the moment you give your heart to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And so here's your practical part this morning, church. If you're saved, this is for you. If you're not saved, you won't understand why. But once you're saved, we should heed the advice of the Apostle Paul that he gave in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what he said to do. It's for you, Christian. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Believers are to live a life of wisdom and making the most of our time. And how can we make the most of our time? So glad you asked, because then I couldn't fill in all the rest of the notes for you. First, there in your notes, we must recognize how short time is. We've had three deaths in our church over the past less than, less than four weeks. And though... Some of those folks may have known it was coming. You don't realize how short time is until you do a couple of funerals in a row. Then you start to realize. Moses said in Psalms 90 verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The New Living says it this way, Teach us to realize the brevity of life, that we may grow in wisdom. If we don't realize how short our time is, we won't make the most of it. Evangelism won't matter. Opportunities won't matter. Relationships won't matter because we have all the time in the world. Second one, we must seek the Lord in his word and with prayer. 
You see, spiritual progress doesn't happen by accident. It just doesn't. It's, it's a purposeful thing in the life of a believer. The writer of Hebrews 11.6 said, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? For he who comes to God must first believe that he is, and second, believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligent prayer life. Diligently studying. Next, we must be willing to pay the price by dying to self. Ouch. The word redeeming in Ephesians 5.16 is translated as buying. Making the most of buying. Greg Brown said there's a cost to making the most of our time. It means giving up other things that we could do the best things with our time. And last, we must keep away from evil. If we're to make the most of our time, we have to make a decision to flee evil. Sin is the biggest waste of time there is. It's the biggest liar as well. It will always cost you way more than you want to spend, and it will always take you further than you ever hoped to go. Ask anyone who's lived it. And if we're not making the most of our time for God, we're going to fall into the evilness of the day. And, and by the way, number one thing about this whole teaching, none of this is possible in your own strength. Not, not one word of it. If you try to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're just going to be frustrated and give up. The new person has to be filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit continuously. And making the most of our time, redeeming our time because the days are evil. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't some esoteric thing that happens and you go, how do I know? I'll tell you how you know. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, there are people who, who come to Jesus and they have this wild testimony and you go, man, the bells went off in heaven and I mean the lights went out, the computer went off. Wow! There are other people, when they come to Christ, there was no grandstand. There was no big band. And, and they're like, God, are you there? Let me tell you something about my Jesus. He's faithful. He is true. And, and he said that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what he said. He, he didn't say, and following that, you know, this big parade has to go by. Sometimes the parade goes by, and that's awesome. But sometimes it doesn't. And faith is, Jesus, you said this. I believe you. That settles it. Okay? So it's not this big esoteric thing. And it's not something that we work hard to achieve or earn because he's given it as a free gift along with our salvation. And at the moment, we're placed into the family by the Holy Spirit of God. We're baptized into the Spirit. And then the Christian life, the hard part, is dying day by day, moment by moment, to this rotting flesh that we live in that is so selfish. And it wants what it wants when it wants it. 
It lies to us and tells us that's where we get satisfaction. It lies to us and tells us that's where we're going to find happiness. And it lies to us and cheats us and robs us. And really when we find happiness in the abundant life is when we die to self and serve others and just bask in the love of our Savior. That's when we're satisfied. That's the abundant life. Knowing Jesus and knowing how righteous he was and yet he took the cross for my sins. That's the abundant life. That's true joy. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. Every week, we have folks in the back who would love to pray with you about anything at all. We'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed by this message. As we experience baptism at that moment of salvation, and then we get to experience water baptism together as a fellowship, it's such a special and unique experience. And as we're on the radio today, we hope that you've been able to have that experience with your local body as well. If you'd like to hear more about baptism or anything going on at Living Faith Fellowship, you can reach out to Pastor Rich at livingfaithclamath at gmail.com, or you can reach out through the website livingfaithclamath.com. Be blessed. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.